Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... They will be saved by grace through faith from the greatest enemy of death. Instead of judgment, they will have the approval of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And here is an important thing to remember. That stone is not going away. That rock is not going away. So that means that the most important decision of your life is whether you put your trust in Jesus Christ or not. In the Bible, Jesus is compared to the cornerstone of a building. A cornerstone supports the entire building just as Jesus supports his followers. This is something that we can cling to any moment in our day. And really, we should cling to it often. Jesus will never leave us, as Pastor Jim reminds us today. He is there in our triumphs and in our troubles, no matter what. Moment by moment, we have the opportunity to rely on our cornerstone, allowing him to take care of our needs in every way. With that in mind, here's Pastor Jim in the book of 1 Peter with part two of his message entitled, God's Special People. This is a New Testament doctrine that is referred to as the priesthood of believers or the priesthood of all believers. And it simply means this, that all followers of Jesus Christ are priests with special access to God. Now, I'm going to say something that's probably not going to please a lot of people in the audience, but that's okay. What are you going to do? To continue the Old Testament priesthood by making sacrifices to God, per se, on an altar in some organized religion sense is to continue something that our great high priest abolished. He abolished all that stuff. He said, no, 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 there's no more of that anymore. Right? That's why I don't say I'm a priest I'm a pastor. I have a role here to help engage in the shepherding of God's people. My primary role here is in the teaching of God's word. But we are all priests. We are all all part of it. And Peter wants us to see this is a high calling for all of the people of God. And it's a very different calling because it was limited to who could become a priest before. But now that offer is made to everyone. And until you realize, loved ones, this high calling that you have in your life, the application section, which is coming after this section, is, and how to live the Christian life is going to be nearly impossible for you. Because you will not have the motivation of grace to live for God who has called you to this high place of honor. So he's telling the congregation, come, build yourselves up as the people of God. That's why our goal here from Colossians 1 is to help people become committed followers of Jesus Christ. It's my hope that everything we do here comes out of that, right? 
As God builds us, we build each other, and God builds us, and we offer spiritual sacrifices. So now you say, what in the world kind of spiritual sacrifice are we supposed to offer? Well, in Romans 12, the Apostle Paul said that we are to be living sacrifices. You're just like, what, what does that mean? Basically, we are to try our best, with God's help, to live out the things that the Bible tells us to do. But there are no spiritual sacrifices for sin. Why? That has been done, the Bible tells us, once for all on the cross of Calvary by Jesus Christ. So we are to be a people who are engaged as a house of building where we are building one another up, but we are also building together into the spiritual house, the temple, if you will, the church of Jesus Christ. Number two, the church is a house of believing. The church is a house of believing. I just want to take a moment real quickly to just say that if you're here today and you don't believe, you are most welcome in this place. There have been so many people, sometimes I think it's most of the people that go here, that have come into this place and they would not classify themselves a follower of Jesus Christ. A lot of people said, I thought I was one when I came here and then I realized that I wasn't one when I came here. You are most welcome. Your questions, your doubts, your objections, whatever it is, your beef, whatever, whatever you got, you are welcome. It's important that you remember that the church is not a building. The church is the people of God. And so Peter's now, when he's talking about it's a church is the people of God who believe, he's going to use an Old Testament, some scriptures to illustrate that. Verse 6. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. And so he's saying it's already in the Bible. It was already there. And he's going to start to quote and to allude to some Old Testament references. First one he's going to do is Isaiah 28, 16. So what is the context? Let's go back to the context of Isaiah 28. The people of God were completely being disobedient to God. I know you're surprised by that. People actually, God says, do this, and they do the opposite. I always think it would be so much better if God just told us the opposite of what he wanted, and then we would just do what he said, right? We'd do the opposite of what he said, and we'd be doing it the right way. But that's not the way he works. So in their disobedience, the Lord says, I want you to trust me. And you know what they did? They went out and formed alliances with other nations. Basically, they said this to God, we understand you want us to trust you, but we can't see you. We can see these other nations, so we've went out and we have made other arrangements, right? And so the Lord comes along and basically says to them, oh, you have a new security system, it's not me, right? And they're like, yes, and God's like, well, let's test it. Let's see how it works. And it didn't work very well. See, what they were trusting in was not going to work in the end. So he says it's contained in the scripture. He quotes Isaiah 28, 16, where Isaiah said, God says, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, some versions say chosen, precious, and he who believes on him, or he who trusts in him, friend, if you're not Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, that can be you today, will be by no means put to shame. So when the enemy would come in and they would conquer the people, they would what? Put them to shame. And so they are trusting in other things other than the Lord. The Bible calls that what, do you know? Unbelief. And eventually they would be, by trusting in other things other than the Lord, my portfolio, my retirement plan, a person or anything other than the Lord, okay, politicians, 
eventually they would be conquered by their enemies. And what is the great enemy? Anybody know? Death. Eventually they will be conquered by death. And in fact, it says in Isaiah that they made a pact with death, like they thought they were going to escape it. So the apostle is reminding the people of God that these people were judged for their unbelief. But those who put their trust in Jesus will not be put to shame. They will be saved by grace through faith from the greatest enemy of death. Instead of judgment, they will have the approval of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And here is an important thing to remember. That stone is not going away. That rock is not going away. So that means that the most important decision of your life is whether you put your trust in Jesus Christ or not. The single most important decision by far in your life. Verse seven, therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. Now, some translators or some scholars think that that's not a good translation. It's actually better to say that honor will come to you who believe. But to those who are disobedient, some versions say who do not believe, and then he quotes hundreds of years earlier, Psalm 118.22. Jesus used this verse in the parable of the wicked vine dressers. If you don't know that one, I don't have time to go into it. We did it when we did our study in the Gospel of Mark. Man, I mean, Jesus just breaks it out on these guys. And, you know, he's like, well, you know, God says I'm going to send people to give them the message, and they killed them. I'll send my son, and they killed him too. And so here it is, Psalm 118.22, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Now, interesting, the context of that is there was a battle, and the king won the battle, and when he came back after it, after winning the battle, the people said, we don't want to follow you. Just like Jesus Christ would go to the cross, die on the cross, be raised from the dead, and the people would say, I don't want to follow you. And then he says, verse 8, and then he quotes Isaiah 8, 14, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Now, the context of Isaiah 8 was um, the people were afraid of their enemies. And God says to them, don't fear your enemies, fear me. But the idea of fearing God, fear and faith are often very close in the Bible. The idea of trusting in God, the idea of needing God as a savior tripped them up. And it made them fall. And that's the same thing today, right? People are offended at the message that they need a Savior. And they reject, reject the Lord Jesus. And then Peter adds this sentence. They stumble being disobedient to the word. And then a very controversial statement to which they also were appointed. Some versions say that they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also destined now, Peter is doing something very, very interesting here. He's explaining to all of us why so few people believe. The reason so few people believe is they want to trust in other things. The reason so few people believe is they don't want to trust in God as their Savior. And why is he telling us why so few people believe? So we stay faithful. Faithfulness flows from trust. Again, maybe not so easy to hear, but Peter is telling us that if you don't put your trust in Jesus Christ, you are 100% unfaithful to God. That doesn't mean you can't do good things that benefit society. 
but you are unfaithful to God's way to get to heaven, to have your sins forgiven. And so he told them, you need the rock as your savior. But they didn't listen. They ignored the Lord. They chased other things. They disobeyed the call to faith and trust in the Lord God, their savior. And verse eight says, they were disobedient to the word. They stumbled over the stone, which was Jesus Christ. Why? We said it before. Because the stone did not fit their building plans. They wanted to be Frank Sinatra Christians, right? They wanted to do it my way. And God says, that's not the way it's going to be. Now, just a side note, because as a pastor, this is something that I encounter quite a bit. Peter's not talking about doubt. He's not talking about doubt. Because a lot of people think that doubt is the opposite of faith. I really don't think it is. Disobedience is the opposite of faith. When we are disobedient to the things of God, it's because we're just taking a moment where we're trusting in ourselves or something else rather than trusting in God. And it could be here that Peter's people are doubting. It could be that they're struggling. And they must learn to trust And as a side note, we'll talk about it in the weeks to come. Actually, the next two weeks, we'll be sort of surrounding kind of this issue. But they're in the midst of what we would call persecution. Now, I know a lot of us here in America, we think, oh my gosh, you know, this is it. We're done. One Supreme Court decision. We're done. This is it. Nah, I don't think so. We're really not yet under what we might call too much persecution. What we're under right now is probably what we would call personal offense, We're personally offended at a lot of the things that are going on. But it's very important to understand the difference between personal offense and persecution. And so we're not quite there yet, but in both instances, we need to learn how to trust. But that's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about here is people in the Old Testament who were responsible for their disobedience. People who were responsible for their unbelief. And then he adds this, to which they were appointed. It was their destiny. It is your destiny, Luke, right? It is their destiny. The sovereign Lord has declared it. This enters us into, uh, for those of you who like theology, you'll like the next few minutes. For those of you who don't take a nap, you'll feel better when you wake up. This enters us into the world of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. God's sovereignty, meaning his control of the world, man's responsibility, meaning their accountability for the way they live. The theological term for this is compatibilism. And I am, without shame, okay, without excuse, a compatibilist. People say to me, tell me about your theological construct. And I go, I'm a compatibilist. Now, I'll have to tell you before I tell you exactly what it is, but while I don't claim to understand it, so I am something that I don't understand, and I don't think that the Bible even attempts to resolve it for us. It's more that something the Bible just states for us. The Bible teaches that God's sovereignty and man's responsibility are completely compatible. They are not at odds. Somehow, they are compatible. They work together. Now, there's a tension here. Just think about it. Some people, Christians, I guess, they would say, like, no, it's all man's responsibility. It's all man's responsibility. 
could you think of a more hopeless scenario? That this world is completely dependent upon us. <laughs> I mean, that is so completely hopeless. So you might say, well, then, okay, I'm not going to come in that camp. I'm going to go all the way over to here, and I'm just going to talk about God's sovereignty. Well, okay, I do believe that if I were going to go in one of the two camps, I would go into that camp. However, let's understand this. If God is responsible for everything, then no one is responsible for anything. So somebody goes in and they murder a bunch of people. They go in court and they go, well, what do you have to say to yourself? They say, it's God's fault, not mine. Send him to jail, not me. And if there was no accountability for our own responsibility, what need is there for a cross? Absolutely no need for a cross. You say, well, can you give me an example? There's quite a few of them in the Bible. I want to give you one of my more favorite ones. And we'll, Since we're with Peter, we'll stick with his ministry. Let's go back 30 years when the Holy Spirit had come and the church was beginning to form. And Peter's out there preaching. And he's out there preaching in Jerusalem. And Acts 2, 22 and 23 says this. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know him, who's him, Jesus, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. There's God's sovereignty. The plan was long time before Jesus showed up on the earth. You have taken by lawless hands. There's man's responsibility, have crucified and put him to death. Now, when somebody looks at you and says, man, you killed him, I don't get the feeling that he's saying it's against your will. I get the feeling there that Peter's saying you did exactly what you wanted. You planned it, you decided to do it, and you went ahead and you did it. In the same way, Peter is calling out people who stumble over Jesus Christ in disobedience and unbelief. Now, I think it's fair to say, and here now we go into some murky waters here, I think it's fair to say that our, or we'll have to choose our words carefully here, so I'll try to fit into all theological constructs here, if you know what I'm talking about, and that's one of the things here, we have people who, this you're here, you've never been to a church like this, you're like, what is this guy talking about? And then we have people with seminary degrees who go here, and, and pastors who go here, so I have to try and fit everybody in here, so we'll be careful of the language. I think it's fair to say that our disobedience has been ordained by God. Now you say, I don't like that word ordained. Okay, our disobedience has been allowed by God. You say, I'm not sure I like that word. Okay, God created the potential for evil simply by giving us the ability to choose. Now, you're saying, okay, so you're saying we have free will. Not total free will. Not total free will. Meaningful choice, yes. 26 years ago, I made the second best decision of my life, and I married Pam, okay? Meaningful choice, right? I also think it would be cool if I could fly, <laughs> okay? But God has not given me total free will. I can't fly, right? So I can't do whatever I want, but I can make meaningful choices. But that not only means that we can choose to disobey, it also means that as the Holy Spirit draws people, we can choose to put our trust in Jesus Christ. And we can choose to obey now, this idea of compatibilism, and we're just about done here, so wake the person up next to you. Uh, we're just about done here. This idea of compatibilism 
should actually be very overwhelming for a Christian. Because I am responsible for my disobedience to God. And Jesus Christ intervened and said, I will take responsibility for the consequences of Jim's disobedience. Praise the Lord. It's also clear here that the Lord is not at all surprised by the unbelief of the world. He's never lost control, which really shows us how powerful he is. He says, do not murder. And people go out and murder. And he says, but I'm still in control. I'm in control of a world where people are constantly doing the things that I'm telling them not to do. And so Peter's telling the churches, don't worry, little ones. It's not as bad as you think. Rather rejoice and be believing. Well, the church is a house of building. God is building us. The church is a house of believing. He is telling us things. It's one of the reasons why I'm committed to teaching the scriptures. As week after week after week, God continues to lovingly make the case to us why we should believe in him, why we should put our trust in him. And finally, number three, the church is a house of belonging. Verse nine, but you, but you, believer, who is the opposite of the person who doesn't believe, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Don't worry, I don't feel like that either. <laughs> That's why we have to preach to ourselves, right? That's why. More words from Exodus 19. He says, his own special people. That's who we are. We're his own special people. And then he uses words from, from Isaiah 43, that you may proclaim the praises or the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Darkness, a picture for those who don't believe. Light is a picture of those who believe. That's why we say they've seen the light. Verse 10, who were once not a people. If you're a Christian, you were not once part of God's people. You didn't belong to God's people. And he's using wording now from the prophet Hosea, who were once not a people, but are now the people of God. You didn't belong in this family before, but now you do. But now you do. Who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained, or some versions say received, mercy. Now, because of the wonderful grace of God, everything has changed. Everything is different. You are now part of a heavenly host. You are now part of a city whose builder and maker is God that Abraham looked forward to. You are part of God's family. Remember we said, and I think it always bears repeating, man, it is one thing to forgive people of their sins, but it is really an entirely different thing to say, I forgive you of your sins and now I want you to come live in my house. And that's what God says to his children. And here Peter is really zeroing in on our identity as the worldwide and locally gathered special people of God. 
This is a picture here of conversion, not to a new religion, but to a new destiny, to a new future, to a new hope, to the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And so what are we supposed to do with it? He's gonna give us some practical things which almost seem really weird. Uh, We'll talk about that in the the weeks to come. But we're to live lives of worship. You know, sometimes I know we talk about like, okay, let's get in for the worship. And we, in our culture, we think it's the music, right? We call a position in a church a worship leader. Jesus Christ is the worship leader. That's it for today with pastor and Bible teacher Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. We hope and pray that Pastor Jim's simple and passionate verse-by-verse, line-by-line teaching through the book of 1 Peter is bringing growth to your Christian faith. Now that you've heard from us, we would love to hear from you. Please let us know how we can pray for you, answer any questions you may have, and let us know how Changed by Love has helped you. Perhaps you want someone to explain to you how to have your sins forgiven, how you can go to heaven, and how you can get started or restarted in your faith. Maybe you're looking for a good Bible teaching church in your area, or maybe you just need someone to talk to. Remember, friends, we are here to serve you and to help you so that someday the Lord will use you to serve and help others. That's the way the kingdom of God works, and we're thrilled to participate with you in the adventure. There are many ways to contact Pastor Jim and the team here at Changed by Love. All of our contact information is on our website, www.changedbyloveradio.com. Once again, that's changedbyloveradio.com. Maybe you would like to bless us and write us a card or letter. Our mailing address is Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Once again, that's Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Please join us next time on this same station. Until then, stay close to Jesus, and we know that you too will be changed by His love.